I'm praying and have been preparing a message that I hope will help you to leave this morning with a holy dissatisfaction. I love that, that little chuckle, because I got that the last service too. Thank you, Kat. Isn't that great? Are we satisfied? We thank God for what's happened, but are we there yet? I think of that little donkey in Shrek, you know, are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. And uh, we don't want to be comfortable as a church, but as it says in that brief outline in your bulletin, it's important to remember and to celebrate the past. And I want to do that for several minutes here this morning. I mean, God's people have always celebrated the past by His design. If you look in the Old Testament, I mean, they were always directed to create a feast for this a move of God or for this particular move of God. They'd stack rocks on riverbanks to remember where God had parted the water so they could come on through. I mean, one of the feasts of those seven feasts of Israel was the Passover feast. And they would take that Passover lamb every year and they would slay it in remembrance of the lamb that was slain in that 10th plague, prior to the 10th plague in Egypt, where God delivered them from Egyptian slavery. And they came out through the Red Sea and into the wilderness and ultimately into the Promised Land. And they'd look back on that every year and remember the power of God. 1,500 years later, after that exodus, after John the Baptist had pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, Jesus, after his ministry, offered himself as God's Lamb on that cross. And now we look back to remember him in the elements of communion, just as we did this morning. And so God's people have always looked backward and remembered what he has done, and, and that's only right. Some of the things that have happened this year, well, they're too numerous to mention, but I, I want to just highlight some of them. I want to mention a couple of men who have made an unbelievable impact in the life of this ministry. One of them was Mark Gallagher, who's seated here this morning. He served as principal of Kaimuki Christian School from 1999 to this past, well, the end of August. He grew up in this church. His dad served as pastor for 32 years, and, and Mark served in various capacities before going to Fiji as a seminary dean for eight years and coming back, serving again in various ways, and then for these last 18 years as the principal of Kaimaki Christian School. And during these years, we've not only added a high school, but have added so much quality to the education here, academically and spiritually. Teachers have been brought in under Mark's leadership that have just such a passion for God. And now we see these children being raised to love and serve the Lord. They're our worship team in chapels. I mean, it's been amazing what's happened through this school in these years. And, and I know Mark gives glory to God, but God's used you, Mark, in a powerful way. And I'm so grateful for that. We are grateful for that. Another person is Pastor Cal Takara, who retired at the end of March. And uh, he was an elder in this church and stepped onto pastoral staff back in 1990, served for 27 years, and he oversaw, at the end of his tenure, the staff, our small groups, and really, through these years, anything we asked him to do. Wherever there was a need, Cal was there. 
His ideas, his innovations were amazing through the years. And if you know Cal, you know he is a counselor, a friend, someone who really cares. It's impossible to calculate the impact that Pastor Cal and Lydia, uh, Mark and Laura have made on this church. And we celebrate that as we remember their ministries. Un talked about in his treasures report the generosity of this church. I just have to say a few things about that because it is impressive. The time that you folks give in serving as reflected in that ministries video. A high percentage of our people have a ministry here. The talents that are brought to bear in so many ways and the treasure that is shared from your lives so that the kingdom of God can go forth through this church. You saw the surpluses there. That's amazing. And those surpluses year by year have enabled us to build a home on this block to serve our community and, and uh, house our growing family. It's just been wonderful to see this vision come to pass because of your sacrifice and your generosity. Not only that, but we spoke of the capital campaign, his vision, our venture, which concluded this last summer. Three million dollars, and that was beyond, above and beyond the normal giving. Think of that for a congregation just to step forward and say, we'll do that. And in fact, I've got a couple pictures. Groundbreaking took place in 2014, and these are the elders that were there to turn over a shovel full of dirt. You probably don't even know this. But the contractor was so impressed with how we did this, he actually hired us, and we worked day in and day out to build that building. <laughs> Just kidding about that part, okay? But then let's take a look at the next picture, and this is the completed Clarence T.C. Ching Education uh, Center, and that plaque I mentioned about your generosity is now right there by the front door. And this is the admin building. These are the uh, classrooms. There are multi-purpose rooms down below on the other side, and uh, that's just to the glory of God. But here's the thing. We decided at the outset of this campaign not just to build over here, but to build over there as well. And so we built, with 5% of the funds from that capital campaign, a dormitory 25 kilometers outside of Nairobi. These kids come from the slums. Uh, there's 1,000 kids housed in this dormitory. It's a boys' dorm where they don't have to live in the slums anymore. They come, and girls have a separate dorm, uh, to get an education academically, and they learn to love Jesus. And they're going to become leaders in that country because of your generosity. And that plaque, which really mirrors ours on this building, is on that dormitory. So I'm thankful for your generosity in that way. And above and beyond, you know, we decided a while back, hey, let's, we're going to send a team to the Holy Land in November to Israel and Jordan. Let's honor our long-term missionaries who've served from five of these families from, from 25 to 39 years. Let's, let's take an Aloha offering for whoever would like to share with them to send them to the Holy Land to honor them as well. Got a picture of them up here. And uh, so we needed $40,000 to send them. Actually, the offering came in over 50000 So we're not only going to be able to send them, we're going to be able to send our retired principal, Mark Gallagher. And in addition, we were able to send $500 to all of our other missionaries and direct them, use this for personal 
use. Whatever would give you a retreat or something you personally need rather than putting it into your ministry. And we're getting letters back from them just tear-stained, grateful uh, for caring about their personal lives and needs. So thank you for your generosity. Well, there's some applause during the message. I know it's for the Lord, but praise God. Okay. Talk about changed lives. That's what it's really all about. And in that slideshow, you saw that there were 32 baptisms, if you were counting, 25 new members this last year. Every one of those is a story. I'd like to talk about them all, but I don't have time. But in one of the services this morning, Jim Becker was seated here. Jim Becker was baptized the day after his 91st birthday. The odds are against that, folks. Um, but this old Associated Press reporter who served from before World War II on through the decades, wrote a book, Saints, Sinners, and Shortstops, uh, was in his home when Joy Kawasaki, who brings him every Sunday, was doing elder care and uh, invited Jim to church. And this hardened old guy came and found Jesus and faith and is now a servant of the Lord. And I think from 91-year-old Jim to the uh, last picture in that baptism slide so was Mamie. And Mamie came out of our Common Grace program, and uh, her auntie, Aries, was able to baptize her. And you take her story and Jim's and everyone in between, those are changed lives. And God gets the glory for doing that. Thank you. Yeah, praise God. This is the first service in which you're clapping for these things, but they deserve some applause, don't they? Great, okay. Well, our ministries are flourishing. I mean, our Keiki ministry is just really just experiencing wonderful things under Pastor Marie's leadership and all the people there. Our youth ministry, Charlie stepped in there in May, and he's got a great core of, of volunteers, including uh, Ernie and Megan, who've assisted in part-time ways this last year. Do you know that on Thursday nights, they started a, a thing called Chill, and they're bringing kids from Waikiki, from Ernie's Surf Ministry, from Kalani High School, and our kids, and they're averaging about 35 and bridging between people, kids from our church as well as kids in the community. We've wanted to do that. On Sunday mornings, between, uh, well, at the 9.30 service, we have some 60 middle and high school kids that are involved in those ministries. And a lot of volunteers, they meet as middle school and high school, then they break into small groups. That thing has really been growing, and we're so grateful for that. Our Ohana groups, over 60% of our people are in a small group. That's unprecedented for most churches, and we're so grateful for the leadership. Pastor Cal and now David has provided, and all our Ohana group leaders for that. In those ways, in those groups, in those ministries, broken lives are being put together, marriages are being healed, and God is being glorified. You know, we have this thing called up to bat, where we bring people that are new to our church, whether they're not yet believers or believers, and they make a commitment to Christ, they make a commitment to this church. Then we start a thing we call the base path that goes for eight weeks. Dee and I have been part of that for a number of years now, and and uh, Scott and Amy McCormick. I love those eight weeks because during those eight weeks, we teach them the habits of the Christian faith. And we also teach them to share their faith story. Like 
how I came to Christ. Before I came to Christ, this is what life was like. This is how I came to know Jesus. This is what Christ has done in my life. Well, we heard, well, we hear two of those every week in Bay's Path. And a couple weeks ago, we heard John's story. And I want to share with you John's story with his permission. And I'm going to start not with the before part. I'll get to that a little bit later. But I want to start right in the middle of his faith story. And this is what he told us. As I grew older, my desire to prosper grew stronger. Money and material possessions had become my obsession, and I was living only to serve myself. By the age of 21, I was working two full-time jobs. During the day, I worked in an office setting, and at night, I worked out and about in tourism. This went on for a few years, and I was happy because I was able to have all the things I wanted. But I also had little time or energy to go out and have fun. Then, one day, a friend I knew from my night job introduced me to methamphetamines. And he goes on, and he talks about his descent into that drug culture. And then he says, my life had become a mess. I eventually lost both my jobs. My car had been repossessed. I resorted to lying, cheating, and stealing to support my drug habit. This was the most miserable time of my life. I had burnt every bridge and ruined every earthly relationship I had. I had hit rock bottom, and it seemed as if my situation was hopeless. This went on for about four years, and by then I was completely lost. I knew then there was no way I would be able to come back from this mess on my own. I was at the end of my rope, with no one to turn to except for God. Then one night, I remember literally falling on my face... And crying out to God, I begged for forgiveness and asked for him to help me get out of this mess I had created. I often refer to this time as the moment that I was truly saved. But the truth is, I was saved long ago, just never completely surrendered myself to God. In addition, during that prayer, I also remember being very specific about where I wanted to be in the next 10 years. I had prayed for God to clean up my life, to give me a career, and to be married with children. Anyway, the years went by, and even though I had forgotten about what I'd prayed for, God didn't. I was clean, career-bound, and exactly 10 years after I prayed that prayer, my wife was pregnant with our daughter Ashley. Looking back at the last 22 years, I am in awe of how the Lord has worked in my life. He has blessed me with so much more than I could have ever imagined. Just knowing that God is in control has given me a sense of freedom that I didn't have before surrendering to Him. I no longer have to worry about making my own way because I know God already has a plan for me. When I trust God and leave all the consequences to Him, I know there's no way that I can go wrong. My, li my life is not perfect, nor will it ever be in this world. But the difference between now and then is when things are not going well and anxiety creeps into my life, my first option is to always lay it down before the Lord because I know He is in control. I may not always get the outcome I want, but I have complete faith that He always does what's best for me, no matter what, and I have never been happier. In our personal lives and in the life of this church, it's important to remember and to celebrate what God has done. And that's what we've focused on here. However, 
It's important to remember and to celebrate what God has done, but God's people can't believe this is as good as it gets, right? People of faith can't be satisfied with living in the past, not if we serve a living God who wants to lead us into the future and show us his power again and again. In fact, in the 8th century before Christ, the prophet Isaiah was speaking to his people as he was writing to them, and they were down and out. They were in captivity in Babylon. Their families and friends had been killed as Jerusalem had been overrun by the Babylonian army. These people living over there had been deported across the wilderness, and they were in dire straits. And he's writing, speaking for God to encourage them in Isaiah 43, when he says, this is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there together, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Exodus. He's talking about how God destroyed the Egyptian army and left them at the bottom of the Red Sea. And the people now, seven centuries later, can look back and say, look what God did. But then God says something through the prophet that's kind of shocking. Look at this next verse. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. What? Come on, why not? They gloried in what God had done. And shouldn't they in that exodus and the deliverance from slavery in Egypt? I mean, they even had a feast every year to commemorate it. And now God's telling them, forget all that. Look what he says next. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. God isn't saying, forget about the past. He's saying, don't be bound by the past. Don't be so focused on the past that you don't see what I want to do in your lives and to give you a future. I made a path through the mighty waters. Now I want to make a path through the wilderness to get you folks back home. But, but you'll miss it if you're focused completely on the past. Israel was at risk there. The church is always at risk there, especially a church that has had some victories and some successes because a, a church can become enamored with what God did in those days. And we can talk about the glory days and, and uh, just think and, and relish about that and miss what God wants to do in the future because we don't see his presence right now. And that's what God's calling us to think about right now as we look into this coming year. You know, as I was thinking about this message, I, I don't know why, but I, I thought about some of the old cars that I've had. Uh, some of you guys like old cars. Some of you gals enjoy those. I don't know. Uh, Two of, two of the people did in the other service. But, uh, you know, when you get older, you think about these things. Let me show you a few of the cars I've owned through the years. That 58 Thunderbird was my first car. I got it when I was 16 years of age for $250 from my kind uncle. Uh, at one time after we were married, we had a 55 Chevy and a 71 Olds. We've had different cars. But I loved those cars. Those were nice cars. I was You wouldn't believe what I traded them for. But anyway... Um, 
would I like to go drive those cars now? No. Because, I mean, some of them didn't have air conditioning. The seat belt, well, the seat belt on that T-Bird, it did have one, but it was a lap belt. Probably kill you if you got in a crash. The stereo systems were junk. They certainly didn't have airbags. They, they just weren't comfortable. I wouldn't want to drive them now. But if I'm wrapped up in nostalgia, I'll miss out on what I'm able to drive now. That's a parallel, I think, to our lives in Christ or the church. Uh, we thank him for what he's done in the past and what he's able, enabled us to uh, enjoy and his blessings. But we have to keep looking forward. He says, see, I want to do a new thing. And I'm believing God wants to do a new thing in this church. And I want to mention about three areas this morning, uh, just briefly, about where I pray that he will do a new thing in. It seems like he's doing a good thing in them right now, but I'm not satisfied, and I hope you aren't either. One of them has to do with Keala Oyesu, the path of Jesus. We laid that forth as a path of discipleship some years ago, and we have been attempting to help people grow as disciples of Christ as they follow this path. We felt like each base was so significant. Loving God, where we grow to love God through Bible teaching and engaging in worship in weekend services. That's, that's really important for a disciple. How about this one, our Ohana groups, where we connect with one another through Bible study, prayer, and caring. And, and then here's another, and that is serving God joyfully uh, to meet the needs in our church community and world through ministry teams. And here's home plate, reach the lost. We do that by sharing the good news of Jesus with our island community and the world. Now, you'll notice this is formed in the shape of a baseball diamond for good reason. That implies movement. It implies that you don't just stay in one place. I'm not satisfied that a lot of us are seemingly content to hang around at first base exclusively. You know that old Abbott and Costello skit? Who's on first? I think we got too many people that are just on first. They just come to worship service and that's it. And think, well, that, that's a disciple. Actually, there's more to discipleship. We're called, and by the New Testament, to connect with one another. But wait a minute. Some of the people in our Ohana groups think that's it. Think, oh, you know, I love the community in my group. And frankly, that's where I get life, and that's all that's important to me. But wait a minute. Are we disciples of Christ if we're not serving the Lord in some capacity? Or how about reaching the lost? That was the heart of Jesus. That was why he came. So let me ask you. Is one of these more important than the other? Or which is the most important? Aren't they all essential to be a disciple of Christ? I think so. And if we're not moving folks around them, are we satisfied? I believe that we as leaders need to do a better job of helping folks move on and grow and become disciples of Christ. And when that happens, wow. There will be transformation in our lives and in this community. Here's another one, and that refers to the youth in our church. Before, I painted a really pretty glowing picture about what's happening in our youth, and they are flourishing, but I'm not satisfied, and let me tell you why. We have uh, come to realize through some study that we've been doing the last year or so 
what the National Association of Evangelicals called an epidemic of young people who are leaving the evangelical church. Through research that they did, they found that 40 to 50 percent of young people who graduate from high school youth groups in a church leave the church and the faith and don't come back. 40 to 50 percent. So what if we took those 60 middle school and high school kids that we have on Sunday morning and we and went one, two, one, two, one, two, and we said, well, okay, the twos we know aren't going to make it. They'll leave here and they'll abandon the faith in the church. Are we satisfied with that? How could we possibly be? Something's wrong with that picture. You see, back in the 1970s, churches across America decided, we need a youth ministry. So they hired a youth minister, they had a youth ministry, a youth service, a worship service. It became its own entity. And when those kids graduated from high school, they weren't connected to the larger church. How many of us know the children in our keiki ministry or the youth in our youth ministry? How many of us have a relationship with them? It's hard. When they're over there and we're over here and we don't serve together and worship together, that is a problem that we need to fix. We have a plan to address that. And next week and in subsequent weeks, we're going to address how we can do that. But I want you to hear the beginning of John's faith story. Because when I heard this a week and a half ago, I was stunned at the last sentence in the beginning of this story. Here's how he begins. As far back as I can remember, the church has always been a part of my life. I was raised in a Christian home. I attended a Christian school, and some of the best childhood memories I have involved the church. During my elementary years, I attended junior church and, as expected, went on to be part of the church's youth group. Not long after joining the youth group, I became a Christian, and I was baptized. I was 12 at the time and knew little about the world. What I did know was that Jesus loved me. He died for my sins, and I wanted him to be my Lord and Savior. Life was simple back then because the majority of my social life always had something to do with the youth group. We were very close and did everything together. We were always at someone's home for either a Bible study or to just hang out. I used to look forward every Sunday because, to our uh, Sundays because every Sunday after our youth service we used to take the church van and the youth group would head out and spend the day together. Things went on like this for a while until I reached the age of 16. About that time, our youth minister and his wife had made the decision to leave Hawaii. And though we had a new youth minister in place, the youth group started to drift apart, or at least the group I had come up with. It was then that I started hanging out with my friends outside the church, and my priorities began to change. My interest in school had diminished, and I was more interested in working part-time in order to have some of the material things that I desired. It wasn't long before I decided to take my GED and work full-time because I wanted more money to buy all the things I wanted. Moreover, my interest in church had deteriorated because I was focusing more on what the world had to offer rather than God, and eventually I stopped going to church altogether. Now here's the sentence that captured my attention. It was easy to slip away from the church then because the youth group was its own entity. 
within the church, so I never really engaged much with the rest of the church body. So he spent years out there in the wilderness before God touched his heart and brought him back. At least he came back, and I'm thankful for that and for John, but how many have to go through those years and how many never come back? And that's not satisfactory, is it? That should create within us a real desire to see something change, and that's what we need to talk about next week and in subsequent weeks. One more area that I'll refer to, and that is that bottom base, reaching the lost. That's what Jesus was all about. He said that he had come to seek and to save that which is lost, and he gave that commission to the church. There are so many lost people around us. I mean, we know them. There are friends. There are family members. There are people that we work with, uh, maybe go to school with. Uh, and yet, all too often, we see these people during the week and come back to our refuge and get encouragement and just go through life as if they're not lost. They need a Savior, desperately. You know, we saw growth last year, but much of our growth was through transfer growth. People coming from other churches, either here or on the mainland, and that's good. We welcome them. If the Lord's leading our church, we are really blessed to have them. But folks, we are called to reach out to lost people in our community and around us. And I am not satisfied, and I hope you aren't, with the number of lost people that we are seeing come to Christ. And that's why for the last several weeks I've been telling you, uh, start praying about who God would have you to reach out to next year. And, and that's why in the bulletin article this morning, that the little lost sheep is in there. And uh, we're going to have some of those next week for you to put a name or more on and come to the front and drop them in a basket at the foot of the cross saying, I'll pray for that person or those folks this next year. I will reach out to them. I will believe God for their salvation. That's a church that is focused on the priorities of the Lord, that is not comfortable, that is not satisfied with where we are. Celebrating the past, remembering what God has done, but believing that He wants to do a new thing as we look forward in the coming days and months. God calls us onward because He is present and He is powerful. Let's trust Him for that. Bow with me for prayer. Lord, we're so grateful for what you've done. We celebrate you, your power, and your people who have brought this to pass. But Lord, we want to believe you for even greater things as we look forward. And we ask you to do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.